0: Well, this morning we are continuing in the book of Matthew. We're at the beginning of Matthew, hence the title of this series, Matthew at the Beginning. And we started last week looking at this book and we saw how from the very beginning of the book, Matthew declares who Jesus is. He tells us Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And this, in this first section of Matthew, really what he's doing is he's giving us the origin story of Jesus. Origin stories are always exciting. You see them in movies, especially in comic books. But this is the real life origin story of Jesus. In fact, if you look and you were to literally translate the first few words of the book of Matthew it would go like this it would say literally the book of genesis of Jesus Christ so that idea is this is the the beginning the origin and so just as we hear the word genesis and we think back to the beginning of the bible the beginning the the new story the new creation of what god did in the beginning in creating the universe so here in matthew matthew is wanting to get us to think about this new creation that god is bringing in jesus he's starting anew in jesus and we see that as well here in our passage this morning in verse 18 that same phrase if you were to translate it literally it would say the genesis of jesus the messiah took place in this way and so matthew wants us to have this idea in mind as we think about the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, as we think about the birth of Jesus this morning in Matthew. Would you pray with me uh, before we read the word this morning? Let's pray together. Father God, we pray Psalm 119. 18, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law this morning. May we be more in awe of your greatness. May we hear your truth and be convicted and comforted by it this morning. May you move us to love you and to love others more from it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 that was our passage this morning and I'll read it for us together Matthew 1:18 the word of the lord says this Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit Maybe a passage that many of us are familiar with, we hear it a lot around Christmas because it deals with the birth of Jesus. But as we think about it this morning, I don't want the familiarity of it to uh, to make us think that we, we know what it's saying and maybe uh, to zone out some. But rather let that familiarity be a tool to help you be able to think more deeply, to mine the depths of the riches that are here more and so this is not just a christmas story right this is specifically here in matthew's gospel for a reason this fits in with his theme with the message of what he is saying as we saw last week that jesus is the messiah the son of david and this passage gives us further description of Who Jesus is and what he came to do, how he's going to fulfill those roles here on earth while he lived here on earth. And so Jesus, as we have come to this passage in verse 18, we see a few things. We see first that Jesus is the son of David. and So as I was thinking about this passage this week, and as as you think about passages when you read the Bible... It's good sometimes to ask questions, to get our minds to think, to meditate on it more, and to, to understand its truth more. And so one of the questions I thought of as I was thinking through this this week is, why Joseph? Why does this passage focus on Joseph so much? Right? We understand that Luke focuses on Mary, and we kind of understand that. In order to have a virgin birth, you need a mother. But in order to have a virgin birth, you don't need a father father so why is there such a focus on joseph in this passage because he is the only focus really the angel deals with him god is focusing on him so why is it joseph and i think as we remember what's happening in matthew it it brings some clarity remember matthew had just written this genealogy the lineage of jesus Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He lists all these names. And then at the end, he says that he is the son of Joseph, that Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, this is the line of Jesus. It comes through Joseph. Joseph is the one who is the son of David. He's the one who's in the kingly line And so as Matthew is wanting to show us that this is who Jesus is, he's the son of David, Matthew has to show us, well, Jesus comes through the line of Joseph, even though he's not physically born from Joseph. And this makes Joseph's actions really significant in this passage. It really teaches us things that we can relate to him in several ways that we just think about how Joseph as we read it, he's he's willing to change his mind. It's almost as if he has already decided he's going to divorce Mary quietly uh, in a compassionate way, not wanting to shame her. But this is kind of the direction he's going. And then the angel comes to him. God God's word comes to him, and he changes his mind. It's a reminder to us that we should be willing and able to change our minds based on the Word of God, that we should never be so set in our ways that God's Word is not able to, to change the direction we should go, that we should be soft to what God's Word tells us. It reminds us that Joseph is really willing to believe something that seems kind of ridiculous or naive or impossible to others around him, even something that would bring uh, disrepute upon him. If he takes Mary, people will talk about Mary. She's, uh, you know, has had a child in this way, and so Joseph is going to take that as well. as a reminder that we, like Joseph, maybe believe things that the world thinks are kind of ridiculous or naive or don't make sense, right? To believe in the Bible, to believe in the miracles, to believe that God created and not evolution, or that Jesus really did die and rise again, or was born of a virgin. These are things that don't make sense in a natural world, and yet Joseph is a reminder that Christianity is about believing God's Word, because God's Word is true, and he can show us reality, even when it maybe isn't explainable or doesn't make sense to us all the time. And so, The angel comes, he tells Joseph to take Mary as his wife. And as he does that, he's also told to name Jesus, right? Give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, that's significant for two reasons. One, it gives us the the core identity of Jesus. This is who Jesus will be. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But this is maybe more importantly here because... Jesus being named by Joseph is something that a, a father does. In this culture, the father was given the responsibility to name the child. And so when the angel tells Joseph, give him the name Jesus, he's not just saying, go ahead and marry Mary, but he's also saying something to the effect of adopt him as your own. Take him as your own child. Bring him into your family. And so Joseph is... Carrying out this legal responsibility of a dad and adopting Jesus. And so, this is what it teaches us about adoption, right? That to be adopted means you're a part of the family. You're not just someone who's there, who gets food, and is like a live in friend who spends most of their time there, but to be adopted means you're a part of the family. Jesus becomes a part of joseph's family and because of that now jesus is in this kingly line he's in the line of david he's the he's the heir so to speak he's the legitimate son the ruler who can now sit on his father's throne the throne of david and so As Matthew tells us the story, he tells us that Jesus, even though he's not physically born of Joseph, he is the rightful king, the eternal king who can sit on David's throne. He's legitimate. He's the true king. And really to us, it shows us that he is the true king. And so we should be willing to follow him as the king, that he should be able to direct and change the direction of our lives because we are his followers, if we are his followers. And so this is important, that he's the son of David, because Matthew wants to get this in our head, but this is not the only thing that Matthew's teaching us. He's the son of David, he's this king, but Matthew also wants us to see that he fulfills this prophecy. You caught it in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then Matthew gives us this prophecy from Isaiah that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so again, this prophecy may be something we're familiar with. We read it this morning in our scripture reading. Right? But as we want to understand how does Jesus fulfill this, what does it mean, why does Matthew include it here, what do we learn about Jesus from this, we have to understand what was the prophecy. We have to go back, we have to look at it. What was Isaiah saying, and how do we understand it, and how does it apply to Jesus? So that's why we read it this morning in our scripture reading. We understand in Isaiah that this prophecy was a sign that was going to show the king and to show the people of Israel really that judgment was coming. I will give you a child, and before the child is even able to know right from wrong, Assyria is going to come. They're going to overflow you like a river overflows the banks of water. This is the sign of Emmanuel in Isaiah 7. There's there's a judgment coming that God is coming and God being with us a lot of times we view that in positive terms but if if we have sinned against God God coming is not a it's not a good thing right and so Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7 points to this that this this judgment will come soon it will come soon and so then Isaiah 7, he makes this prophecy, and then right after that, in Isaiah 8, then a child is born, a son is born. So we've just heard there will be a son born, and then in Isaiah 8, a son is born. And so in Isaiah, we're meant to make this connection between the two. In Isaiah 8, the son of Isaiah is born, and he's called Meher Shalal Hashbaz. I told a couple people the names of our kids this morning our kids' names are not quite that difficult to say or uh, Hebrew, although one is very Hebrew, actually. Um, But more on that later. But we don't usually name our kids' names like this, but this name that Isaiah named his son meant that the spoil hastens, right? In other words, that there's, there's a prey coming soon. It's going to come quickly, and so be prepared. Again, Isaiah is seeing the birth of his son as a connection to this prophecy. God's judgment is coming soon. And so Isaiah not only sees that connection, but he sees other connections. Isaiah's wife was probably a virgin or at least a young maiden at the time of the prophecy in chapter 7. And even in chapter 8, when Isaiah is talking about his son, he refers to him as Emmanuel. He uses that phrase. He says, God with us. And so Isaiah is making this connection between his son and this prophecy. But things get more interesting. It doesn't stop there. It's not less than that. It's more than that. This is how prophecy usually works. God's, God's prophecy meant something for the people then, but it also pointed to something in the future. And so at the beginning of chapter 9, even at the end of chapter 8, really in chapter 8 verses 9 through 10, we see that these foreign nations will come and conquer, and yet God with us, Emmanuel, God has not left his people. Eventually, even though they've been overrun and destroyed, God will restore them he'll destroy these enemy nations and he will bring the eternal king isaiah 9 who will be the child who will sit on the throne of david and so this prophecy of emmanuel is really pointing to this fact this future of god being with us that don't fear the destruction don't fear the evil that's coming even though it's well-deserved, because God has not left you. God will not completely destroy you. God is going to send a king, a deliverer, who will reign over all the nations. And he is your God. He is with you, Emmanuel. And so Matthew is familiar with Isaiah. He's familiar with the Old Testament. And he sees, he understands that as Jesus comes, as Jesus is born, this is The fullness of this prophecy, the fullness of this pattern or type in Isaiah, that Jesus is not just one who is meant to give the people hope of something in the future, but Jesus himself is God with us. He is Emmanuel, the full Son of God. And so Jesus himself reminds us that The rulers of this earth will not last forever. The powers that be will not last forever. But God will bring his kingdom. And he has started to bring his kingdom and his rule in Jesus. And so Jesus reminds us that God is with us. And even as we go through these times where, just like in Isaiah's time, the people were under different authorities, foreign powers who were not godly, even as we live in a world that is not completely committed to God, we can remember that God is with us. And God brings us comfort and a future hope of what will come because Jesus has come. And so Matthew wants us to remember that Jesus is this son of David. He's the coming king. And not only is he the coming king, but he's here now. He's God with us right now. He's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. And that is good news. That brings that brings hope in what we go through. It brings comfort. It brings endurance. But this is not all that Matthew says about Jesus. This is not all we learn about Jesus. He's the coming Messiah. He's the coming Emmanuel, the coming King. And yet, what did this King come to do? What was his focus? Right? Because in Matthew's time, we read throughout the Gospels, that there was this idea of a coming king who would come and deliver from the physical enemies, from Rome especially, but also you remember the miracle when Jesus fed the 5,000. The people wanted to come and make him king right after that because they wanted this king who would come and provide for all their needs and bring this abundance. But here at the beginning of the gospel, Matthew is telling us what this king is like. What his main focus is. And we see it in his name, in the naming of Jesus. That core identity that Jesus came to save sinners. He will save his people from their sins. And so Matthew wants us to know, God wants us to know from his word, that this is the main thing that Jesus came to do. This is the main thing that we need. We need to be saved from our sins. So what does the world need most? What does the world need most? There are lots of answers to that question, and really most of the organizations in the world who are trying to make the world a better place in some way, they all have answers to this. What needs to happen in order for things to get better? Right? Everyone answers that a certain way. But what does the Bible tell us here as we see Jesus' mission? What does he think is needed most? He thinks what's needed most is that we need deliverance from sin. We need to be saved from sin. And so the Bible shows us, it reminds us that that the things that are wrong in the world, the, the brokenness, that's in the world, the root cause is not some person or some system or organization, although those things can factor into it most definitely, but the root cause is what's inside of you, what's inside of me. The root cause is sin, and Jesus' main task was to save from sin. And so this is our message as as a church. This is our main message. This is the message we have to focus on even as we know that we need to do good works, as we know that we have much wisdom from the Bible and we can speak God's truth in regards to relationships and marriage and life and justice and government and all these definitions of what the Bible says. But if we were to let's say, succeed in getting everyone to think about, think in a, in a biblical way, so to speak, about God's definition of all these things, of life and relationships and government and all these things. If we were to succeed in, in getting people to think that way, then our mission as a church still wouldn't be complete, right? Jesus' mission still wouldn't be complete at that point. Because he didn't just come so that people would think a certain way. He came so that people would be delivered from sin. That that is the core of what is needed. People need to be changed by Jesus. And so this was his main task. He knew that sin brings brokenness. In our souls in our family in our culture and this was his main focus throughout his life his death and his resurrection was to to deal with that sin that root cause of all that is wrong first Timothy says it like this the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief that's what Paul says and so As we think about Jesus' main focus, there's, there's really one other thing to notice about this, that he says he came to save his people from their sins. He came to save his people from their sins, right? And so it's a reminder that not everyone is going to be saved from sin. That Jesus came to save from sin, but only those who are his people will be saved from sin. And so it's incredibly important that we know, one, what does the Bible mean by that? How do we become his people? Who are his people? How does that happen? And the Bible, really, instead of narrowing it down, gives us this great hope that this is what it means to be the people of God. It means to believe this, that Jesus is the Messiah believe on the Lord Jesus Christ believe on the Lord Jesus the Messiah and you will be saved believe that Jesus is the one who is able to save you from sin because he is Lord and he died on the cross as a substitute from our sins believe that he is the one who is reigning he's the king and worthy to be followed with all of our lives and commit your life to him. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. And the Bible says that as we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be a part, made a part of the people of God and we will experience this salvation from sin like Jesus came to accomplish. We will experience what is most needed in our life that the sin is what causes the brokenness, the turmoil, and that once that is eliminated, we can know God. And it's not that all brokenness or all of the troubles will be eliminated from our life, because sin isn't gone from everywhere yet. It's not even gone from us if we're a Christian. And yet, that relationship with God is made right. We're His people. And so that is what the good news that Jesus came to do, that when we are his people, that we will be saved. Nothing will separate us from him and we'll be delivered. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to save from sins. So that's incredibly important to us if we're not a Christian, of how we can become a Christian. It's incredibly important to us if we are a Christian, because that means that when we sin, we don't have to beat ourselves up over it or wonder am i still a christian we don't have to do penance as though we have to make up for it because jesus has already paid that price for us on the cross so that whenever we sin it is now an opportunity for us to look at jesus and to see how we are great sinners but he is a great savior who delivers us from sin this is what he came to do and we will be saved from sin if we are his and so we can remember when we sin that it hasn't separated us it hasn't condemned us but jesus looks at us and reminds us of his grace of his forgiveness of his sacrifice and he tells us go and sin no more that's the message of the cross to us, the message of Jesus, what he came to do. He came to save from sin. And so here Jesus is. Matthew presents him in this way as the Messiah, the son of David, the king who reigns. As Emmanuel, the king, the God of the universe who has come near, he is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he is Jesus who will save us from our sins. This is the announcement that Matthew makes. This is the announcement that we hear at the birth of Jesus this morning. He is the one who will save us from our sins. And so as we look at the word of God, we always want to think, I don't just want to be a hearer of God's word. I want to be a doer. How do I need to respond to God's Word this morning. And so we're going to, at this time, we're going to move into a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper together, which is a wonderful time together to remember of Jesus's death, resurrection, and how he died to make us one, his people. And so as we uh, take of the Supper together, I would also encourage you, if you've been convicted of sin or if you uh, need to respond in, to the Lord a certain way, then then do that this morning. Uh, come talk to me if you need to talk to me after the service and make sure that you are being a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. But as we um, transition into this time of the Lord's Supper, let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the reminder of the gospel that Jesus came to save sinners. This is our greatest need, that we are sinners. That even even those of us who have been cleansed, who have been uh, declared righteous, we still are prone to wander, we're prone to sin, Lord, and you save us from it. Lord, we pray that when we sin, we would not despair, we would have grief over sin, but we would remember the hope that there is in you, that you have not left us, you are still with us. And that you save us from sin, you save us from the penalty of sin, you save us from the power of sin. God, may we embody that truth, that gospel this week. As we sin ourselves, as we are around others who sin, may this be the message in our hearts, the message on our mouth, that you don't overlook sin, but you deal with sin, and we're thankful for that this morning. We pray that you would work in our hearts to respond to you, that we would grow to look more like Jesus, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If uh, the ushers would come forward, the deacons would come forward at this time. This morning, we get to partake of the Lord's Supper together, and in scripture the lord's supper we're told is a is a reminder to us that jesus died on the cross it's a reminder of his his body and his blood for us that he shed on the cross and we partake of it together as one to remember that we're one body we're unified even though we all come from different backgrounds and we are all different personalities god has united us because we believe in Jesus, and it's a reminder of that this morning. This is a family meal, and so if you're here and you're not a Christian, we are glad you're here, but we would ask that you do not partake of the elements this morning if you're not a Christian, if you haven't believed in Jesus. Uh, But if you are here and you are uh, a Christian, you've believed in the Lord, you have uh, followed him in baptism and are Uh, member of a local church committed to the to the body again uh, this is a family meal and so we would invite you as a part of the family of God as a part of his church to partake with us if you are a Christian a part of a a Christian who's a part of a church in good standing this morning and so uh, let's remember this gospel together this morning remember what Jesus did to die for us on the cross as we partake this morning.